Hello and welcome to Conversations with a Vicar, the podcast where you get to ask a church leader everything you've always wanted to know about God, faith and how church could be relevant in the 21st century. Nothing's off limits, so we'll be talking about everything from the everyday to the extraordinary. Expect to laugh, learn and look at Christianity in a new light. This is Conversations with a Vicar. Hello, welcome to Conversations with a Vicar, episode two. Uh, I'm your host, James Crawley. I am a comedian, a writer, an entertainer, uh, uh, a family man, and a person who met a vicar at a board game day once six years ago. That vicar is sitting here with me. His name is Alex Raymond. He is a reverend, a musician a parent, a husband, and a man who was who turned down Sandhurst Military College. How are you, Alex? Yeah, very, very well. Thank you for little, that introduction. Again. Little factoid about you. Are you, you going to do that every episode? Well, I have, have to come up with a new fact about you every episode. Yeah. That'd um, be fun, though. You're welcome to. Yeah, I'll try. Crack on. I'll do my best. Crack on. And I thought that was quite a... Interesting though. Yes, I, even I almost one. forgot that. But there you go. Hmm. Any questions about that? Write in. Uh, Do people still write in? in? I don't know. Do you mean type in. Um, send comment. <laughs> type in. Comment and rate us behind your typewriters. <laughs> Ding. Um, fa- send us a fax. Um, uh, if you got time, send me a page. Yeah. Page. Page me. Anyway, let's Sorry. press on with some questions. Because uh, we're not here to have fun. Never. We're here to answer people's questions that they've emailed in. There we go. That's the actual modern uh, communications language. Uh, first question today. Straight in. None of this how are you that other podcasts do where they're like, oh, what have you been up to? Don't no. care, mate. Don't care. Answer my questions. Question one today. How much of the Bible is factually true? Great. Should we start with that? Wonderful. Well, um, <clears throat> before I answer the question, I'm going to do a bit of politicians. I'm going to answer the question behind the question. And I think it's a question that comes up quite a lot. And when we approach literature of any kind, we've got to ask ourselves what kind of literature we're we approaching. And that changes how we approach it. So a leaflet in the back of Morrison's, you're going to approach that tells you about the local tourist attraction, Alton Towers. You're going to approach that a bit differently as you are a dictionary. And you're going to approach that a bit differently as you are a poetry anthology like the one you studied at school. And you're going to approach that a bit differently to a collection of stories by Rudyard Kipling. I don't know. Um, And so you've got to realise that the Bible, the word Bible comes from the Latin biblios or library. So it's a library of books. It's not just one monolithic piece of literature. So it has all kinds of different styles of writings. And there are some that are never meant to be the way that we would say in the West, factually true, but it's also an Eastern book. And when Eastern writers are writing at the time of our Bible writers, truth is not just something that you learn facts about. It's a deeper knowledge and it's a wisdom and it's a, there's all kinds of different elements to it rather than just saying, I don't know, like you do in geography, sedimentary rocks are made up of sediments or an oxbow lake is made up or whatever that is. So when you're approaching the Bible, there are some 
books in the Bible that are meant to be historical accounts for sure, um, as is the, the Gospels, the stories, the retellings of Jesus is meant to be a historic account of who Jesus was. But even interwoven in there, there's bits of poetry, there's bits of... And no one is ever reading a poem saying, is this factually true? Mm. That, that you're learning truth by reading it, though, about emotions and about feelings and all that kind of thing. Go on, you're laughing. That's deep. Go on. That's just quite deep, isn't it? What when is You're learning truths when yeah. you're reading a poem. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The thing is, with any poem, poems are not meant to be assessed like line by line. They're only meant to be interpreted as like a whole thing. Sure. Um, which you could draw an analogy. Which I right? would, I would consider the Bible the opposite. Of that. that it is separate entities in one catalogue of stories. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's, you know, the, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, one of the very first books you'll find in your Bible, right on the left-hand side. Um, it's... It's a, it's a historical documentation of the logistics of a people in the middle of a wilderness. Like, but it's, it's written as such. You're not going to read it and think, oh, it's amazing, the poetry of it. Like, it's, it's quite dull to read sometimes. But it's an important documentation of how a people were categorised and how land was apportioned and all that kind of thing. Whereas the Book of Revelation, which is incredibly poetic and very interesting, is very, like brings up all kinds of imagery and stuff that clearly is dreamlike in sense and is meant to be a prophetic forecast. Um, and so it's never meant to be read as like a, as you would read, I don't know, I was going to say newspaper, but in the world of fake news, who knows? Um, but, oh, you know, um, yeah. Um, and the book of Psalms right in the middle, 150 songs. No one reads, you don't listen to a song and say, is this true? Like, is this factually true? But you, of course you say there's truth in this. And there's like... Well, I do like it when a song is factually true. It's always interesting. When it's about something that's yeah, factually something. true. Yeah. But it'd be boring, right? If every song yeah. like was just a, yeah. a factual retelling of the moment that it's singing about. Yeah. Like you have to add in colour and you like to involve the whole human experience. Um, but yeah, so, so in the West, we tend to pick up books and say, what can I get from it? Or what can I learn from it? Mm. In the East, and again, this is kind of making very sweeping generalizations, but in the East, around the time that the Bible was written, and similarly with the Torah, the Jewish Bible, the, the, the writers weren't writing to say, what fact can I pass on? But it is what story can I, can I allow the reader to immerse themselves in? And so it's just a different question you're asking us. It's a different, there's a whole different worldview that you're trying to incorporate. And with post-enlightenment, it's quite difficult sometimes for us to th pick up the Bible and think, well, it, it's talking about something here that I've never experienced. It's therefore factually untrue. Um, but if the way you interacted with your children was based upon facts, then the times when they say, I hate you, Daddy, mm -hmm. um, you would take very seriously, right? Um, whereas we know that um, that human relationship is very different to that and it's not based on facts but it's based on knowledge and wisdom and love um, and the Bible is if you're a Christian you kind of see it as a, it's this kind of living and breathing word of God and so we interact with it as you would a relationship there are times when I don't want to read it because I can't be bothered and there are some times when I cannot stop but reading it so how much factually true percentage I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to <laughs> wouldn't be able to Put say <laughs> 
But um, there are some books that are written solely for the use of fact and then some that aren't and then a bit of a mix between. But it, for us to say a percentage, even that, like, what, I guess the, the, the question I would ask the, the quizzer would be, um, does, it, does it matter? Is, is the truth that changes your life based on facts or is it based on other things other than facts? I th- and what is it? What it, what it, what I, is it? What I do think, they mean by fact? They mean this happened exactly in this way. If so, there is a percentage, and I'd say that the the majority. But obviously, that the writers are trying to tell people about, are trying to articulate what these historical moments mean in a wider sense of the history of mankind, not just a news report. Yeah, I think there are parts that it's very important. Are factually true. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, really important. As we discussed before. Yeah. I'd say like mental belief that there was a man. Yeah. Named Jesus Christ, and he he died, died and he rose and again, then, and yeah. yeah, and and so if you go go by that, there is a staggering amount. So a few little sound bites that might be helpful. Did you know that there is more historical evidence outside of the Bible for the existence of Jesus Christ? and his death, and his resurrection even, than there is for the existence of Julius Caesar. Now, in school, did you ever question the belief of Julius Caesar, or the events of Julius Caesar? No, we just no. kind of are always taught, right? That We didn't study the Romans. In my did you not? You didn't do that no, as We topic. did World War One, And that was it. Um, just category. Yeah. <laughs> but have you ever, like, you've never chatted around a pub, have you, about like, right guys, I believe in this guy called Julius Caesar, and everyone kind of like goes, what? I can't believe you believe. Like, no one would say that. Um, and so there are more like, there are tons of sources outside of the Christian canon of the Bible that also talk yeah. about Jesus, which is what gives it, which is why you have academic professors studying this stuff and not just, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, there's only one piece of evidence outside of the Bible of the existence of Pontius Pilate. Isn't that correct? It's right, a like tablet that was found tablet. in Magdala. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was found in Magdala, but yeah, found, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The reference is Pontius Pilate. Yeah. And that's the only bit of yeah. uh, evidence outside the Bible of his existence. Maybe. Um, I wouldn't know enough to... You might have done your Google. I think so. Yeah, great. Um, I mean, I've got the whole internet for research, so <laughs> I think I would know. Um, uh, Do you own the internet? I'd, I'd, yeah, yeah, I've got the internet. You should really get on it. Yeah. You know, d- get rid of that Bible. Uh, get on the internet. Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think um, it's you, you pick up pretty quickly... Just by reading styles, when you open the Bible, is is the writer trying to make trying to make a historical document here, or are they try are they trying to express a human emotion, um, and and that's pretty obvious just by reading, and working out what so, kind song of song of songs, yeah, song of songs poet, is a it's poetry, isn't it? It's poetry, yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, it has has saucy lines such as your breasts are like the cedars of Lebanon. Now, I don't think he's actually talking to an ent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he's actually talking to someone who's factually. Don't remember reading. Actually, that, that seen the Lord of the Rings. Do you know what I mean? Um, but um, but is, is that state is that statement a truth or not? Maybe we won't talk about breasts. But um, mm. is the poetry in that? Is it talking about a truth or not? And so I think that's the. Um, yeah. Nice. Next question, following on from that. Why do the Gospels contradict each other 
on some aspects of Jesus' life? Yeah. Great question. Thank you for asking. And um, again, I would say that the different, the reason why we have four Gospels in the Bible isn't because it's like four different opinions of who Jesus is. They're writing for four different audiences. And so what they do in, in writing that, so again, this is like largely tarring things with brushes, but largely Matthew is writing for a Jewish reader. Largely Mark is written writing for a new believer or Gentile, which were kind of the non-Jewish people. Largely Luke is writing um, as a, like he's a physician that probably started his exploration, he's a bit like the Louis Theroux of the Middle East. So, but probably started his investigative journalism as a bit of a skeptic, but maybe had a transition of belief during that, um, during his investigations. So it's interesting with the book of Luke, but writing for um, kind of a more historical, trying to have a look at that sort of things. And then John is is kind of writing with a view um, or a critique against the Roman occupation, as well as so a lot of John's writing is riffing off of either Jewish previous historical accounts um, of of what's going on, not just about Jesus, but what's going on the backdrop, but also the Romans. Um, and he's, But he's also very poetic in his writing. John um, calls himself the disciple Jesus most loved. Now, as we kind of imagine, Jesus loved all his disciples. But he was quite close to Jesus. He, he was kind of... Quite a brag. Um, quite a brag, yeah. Can you imagine being sat next to him at a party? Yeah. Like, oh, shut up, John. But, um, yeah, so they're writing for different audiences, which makes their telling of something strategic in different ways. And so I wouldn't say they're contradictions. This isn't just me just trying to, like, sidestep the point. But um, there are moments where the different gospel writers um, say different aspects about a certain event or they'll leave out certain things. And that's where the contradictions come. And again, what you were saying earlier about the poems, about poetry, you see it as a whole. I think, again, we, we've got to see the Gospels as, as a whole and say, what are the writers trying to communicate about how they're talking about this person? So if you read a biography about anyone, it'll always be for a p- purpose. That, and they'll always have a bias, or they'll always have like a, a reason for writing. People don't just do it just because of the fun. They want to tell you or communicate something about the person. They do it because they've lost their management job. Or sometimes, yeah, or sometimes they've run out of money. Um, but the reason the, the, the Bible writers are writing these accounts of Jesus' life was because they're trying to communicate to a certain audience a certain thing or aspect about Jesus. So for Matthew, it's super important that the Jewish people know that this guy, Jesus, is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Really important. For Mark, it's important for Gentiles to know that they are welcome into this. That this isn't just Juda- Judaism part two. This is a whole new thing that, that Gentiles are invited into. For, um, for Luke, it's super important that whether you're an academic or not, you can engage with this. And he was like a physician, so quite an academic job, but super important for that. For John, it was important for him, for, um, for the audience to know that this could mean the end of the things as we've currently known them. So the end of Roman occupation, the end of um, a hierarchical view of religion, all those kind of things. So it's quite a political um, retelling, I think, um, the way John writes it. So they're right different things. So the contradictions might come because of those things. And if you see it as a whole, then often they're just writing about events in different parts or different, in a different order chronologically to try and emphasise their point, like a biographer would today. 
I think. Interesting. So if you and I went to see an Arsenal versus Fulham game, we would write about the accounts in a very different way. Partly because you support Arsenal and I support Fulham. So our retelling of that story would be very different, right? Probably Arsenal will win, um, as per recent results. And so I'll probably come up with every VAR decision that came up in against us and say, what a travesty. This has probably been a real like difficult time, difficult season. Scott Parker doesn't know what he's doing. Whereas you'll talk about Arsenal as being total victors. We're talking about exactly the same event, but um, for two different audiences. Um, and so, so there, there will be, we'll, I'll miss out details, such as the red cards from our team. And you'll miss out certain details, such as, the flair of our midfield. Um, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> um, yeah, no, Tom Candy's yeah. a great player. So I think I think that uh, might not answer the question fully, but a really great book if people want to read that is um, is a book called um, Why Does It Go Out of My Head Completely? The Bible, book by book, which by that Chris Rogers. I thought for a second you were just going to go the, the Bible. Bible. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible great. by Chris yeah. Rogers, and and what it does is every single kind of double page spread is a different book of the Bible talks about its historical context the kind of reason why it was written and with some great pictures a really good coffee table book but check that out I do like a book with pictures yeah it's got that's loads of them that's a disappointing thing about the original Bible no pictures no pictures no so, pictures yeah um, very hard to get into yeah in it's funny sense. that isn't it whereas Egyptians their manuscripts full of pictures yeah all pictures all pictures um, yeah. yeah ancient Egyptians they had it right it takes all sorts um, Bible pop What's up, your, man. what's your favourite Bible story? So interesting. Well, well, one. That's well, not the question. Is not necessarily the a book. No, sure. Just story. A story. There's a beautiful story I was looking at just yesterday, two Samuel nine, so it's in the Old Testament, where King David is looking for someone to bless because his best mate has just died, and he's looking for someone to bless because his best mate, a guy called Jonathan, was so kind that he wanted to show that kindness to one of his descendants. So he's looking around all over the place for a descendant of this guy. And he eventually finds this person who the Bible describes as being disabled in both feet, which obviously, like, I've been to other parts of the world where disabilities will inhabit you from everything, from job, from social scenarios, and that was very similar back then. And so this person would have been, like, wouldn't have been loved by the community all that stuff would have been outcast wouldn't have been able to bring much in and anyway David's response to him invitation to him is come and sit at my table and eat with me every day um, and obviously this is the king saying to that so it's like like the queen rocking up to any homeless person saying you know what because your descendant showed me such love I'm going to invite you to eat at my table um, daily and Like so that's not just like once a year for a big old festival you can come saying like every single day I'm going to get involved in your life and it's just a just an amazing kind of story and I think it's what we as Christians should be doing is finding the people on the margin of society and saying you know what no matter what people think of you I want you to come into my life and let's share a meal together regularly because you learn a lot about people don't you over a meal um, there's a story that I love um, mm, 2 Samuel 2 Samuel 9 2 Samuel 9 yeah you'll find that I think ish nice. um when I read this question, I thought of a specific bit in Mark. We were just talking about <laughs> Gospels. There's a specific bit in Mark where, in the story, Jesus calms the storm, which I'm sure you remember from school if you haven't read the Bible. 
in that long, that's fine. Um, and it says, when the storm starts, Jesus is asleep. Fast asleep. Yeah. Resting on a pillow. Yeah. Which is really specific. Um, like, yeah, he's the son of God, but he likes to be comfy. Yeah, <laughs> man. Just like this, I like the specificity of... Uh, Does it actually say pillow? Yeah, he's resting on a pillow. Oh, love. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, which I always enjoy. It's beautiful. Um, the concept of that. Um, it's some really fun stories in the Bible as well. I mean, I think I've... We went, we swerved deep. from the point of that story which is he does calm the storm no but first he's but comfy. first he's comfy sleeping you couldn't calm a storm after a bad night's sleep could you yeah quite difficult <laughs> Jesus awoke and went let me have my eight hours yeah can I have my I haven't had my full RAM cycle yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go um, more questions yeah written in emailed in um, what percentage Another percentage. Oh gosh, you've question. got a lot of statisticians. So yeah. many questions. Of your religion, do you not believe in? Wow. Approximately, that is taking into account all current and historical C of E doctrine. Wow. Fascinating. What a, what an interesting question. So so the, I I think again the question behind the question. The. So he's talking about C of E doctrine. Now, famously, the Church of England doesn't actually have a doctrine. A doctrine is a system of belief that you have to subscribe to to be in the club, right? So if you're a certain the Jesus club. denomination, yeah, we talked yeah, um, a certain denomination, you have to subscribe by a certain doctrine. The, the Church of England is both Catholic and Reformed, so it, it kind of acknowledges its historical roots in Catholicism, but also says um, there are some things that have, have changed and, and been Reformed. And again, the Church of England allows for all kinds of room within that. Now, there is a, a document called the 39 Articles, of which are like creedal beliefs. Um, so, but it's made, that's mainly to do with structure and hierarchy, saying things like the Queen is a big is a big dog when it comes to Church of England structure. The Bishop's a big dog. You know, all the, like, Metaphorically speaking, um, not literally. No, not actually. <laughs> a, a huge canine. The Queen is um, a big dog. A big dog. You know, <laughs> like, um, these are important people in the structures. But, um, and things like, you know, but if it's creedal belief, if what they want is creedal belief, which is, um, then I subscribe to 100% of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which were documents written about 330 AD. I say about, I know it's exactly 330 AD, because um, <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, but, uh, which was the Creed of, um, of Nicene, where... Um, so we got together and said, right, this, this religion thing that we've been doing, this following Jesus thing, we need to, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's child sacrifice to the left. There's, you know, people getting wealthy to the right. Like, there's all kinds of stuff going on. How do we, what do we actually say is our like, USP as Christians? And, and it was then that they kind of, after a few of these councils, they decided on this. And, and yeah, and that's, and fundamentally, it's the stuff that we talked about last week. This you know, belief in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Belief that what we see in the Gospels happened and um, and they want to live a life that kind of is shaped by that. So if, if that's the case, 100%. Now, in terms of the global church, the global church, as in the worldwide Christian Jesus mm-hmm. Club, some of them do all kinds of things that I would never, ever imagine looks like what our Middle Eastern rabbi, of which we read about in the pages of our Bible, would do. And so I'm, the thing I'm always trying, and we were chatting about this in the car this morning, chatting about praying without ceasing, right? So in the Bible it says pray without ceasing. Now does that mean we are on our knees 24-7 with our hands clasped together or rosary beads or candles lit, whatever you do to pray? 
what is the thing you're doing there? Or is it about having a prayerful existence that every decision, every big decision that you're making, you're trying to do it prayerfully? Um, and I think that's what I try and do when I'm making big decisions. I'm not thinking, what does the Church of England believe? Shall I do that? Or what does the, do- what does the denomination I follow believe? I'm like, what would, what does, what would Jesus do in what this moment? What would Jesus do? What yeah. would Jesus literally <laughs> do in this moment? Literally, and that's... What, what kind of feels... And that goes down to like, we were talking about the phone I have. Like, it goes down to all kinds of choices. The fact I shop largely in charity shops. You know, like all those kind of things. What kind of phone would Jesus have? <laughs> well, if he had a phone, I think it's an important decision. Like, it's an important decision to make. When you're making a lot of... When you're putting in a lot of money into a purchase, you need to be thinking these things. It's not just a willy-nilly, like, um, random decision-making thing. But that's what I try and do. Try and do. I don't know if that answers the question. But I, you've got a lot of stats people mm. who want percentages... And I, I don't know if I can give them a percentage other than 100% of the Nicene and Apostles' Creed I would subscribe to. On that, the church okay. historically and throughout the ages has done all kinds of nuts things that I would never agree with. Yeah. But, but a lot of that are often rooted in beliefs. They're often rooted in practice that comes but from a distraction of the one that we follow. Okay. Good, good answer. Um, you don't seem too satisfied with it, though. It seemed a little evasive, um, <laughs> uh, but then you gave the hundred percent answer, um, and I have no follow up of what about this bit. Right. Um, uh, you could definitely get into the nitty like, one day of that stuff. Yeah, love that. Um, I think that would be more time than we have today yeah. to to bring into it yeah. such things. Um, I'll move on to another question. Go on. Um, what is the most positive experience you would likely never have had if you'd been wholly without faith? Wow. What a lovely question. You're ending that. Is there a part two? There's another... Um, okay. So you... Um, what a beautiful question. I mean, it is, it is hard as a man of faith and a man who came to faith. Like, you, you never know, like, the years preceding that... Like, what was because of that faith journey? As you alluded to in my intro, which was wonderful, thank you very much. You're but um, I, I w- I'd signed up to join Sandhurst Military College. Just before I was about to go, I became a Christian. And I had a real conflict in my own head. Now, this isn't one I would necessarily have today, but I had one then as a 16-year-old boy about to go off to military training school. Um, had a real conflict around... Um, could I kill someone mm. even on command now I know a lot of clo- Christians are in the forces and well done um, but at that point as a 16 year old it just comes to faith I, I couldn't and so I had this conflict so I had to call them up and say I'm really sorry but I'm turning down my place um, and so so that was obviously a thing because of faith um, but I'm a man who believes that the Holy Spirit moves today and people um, sometimes when prayed for are healed and I have seen people get healed. I've seen broken marriages be restored. I've seen broken families come together because of prayer um, and a kind of reckless pursuit of, again, the forgiveness we see Jesus exhibit. I, uh, there's countless times um, in, in, my own, in my own life, there's been reconciliation with family members that go beyond logic um, that shouldn't have been resolved but had it not been from learning about the forgiveness of Jesus 
and first being a recipient of that forgiveness, then to be able to say to others, I, I forgive you, and that being a true, a true uh, act. Um, there's been re- um, resolution, which, which my family members who haven't had that faith journey have not been able to go upon. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there's kind of too many to, to kind of count, but I would say the most positive or the stuff that changes lives most are the, the acts of resolution or reconciliation that go beyond the, the bounds of logic. So where we see marriages coming together, where they should, have, they should, like in the world's eyes or in most people, they should be like, oh yeah, that, that marriage is, is beyond repair. But actually through prayer and a reckless pursuit of forgiveness, we've seen relationships restored. Whose marriage? Name names. No, I'm joking. I won't. Um, um, uh, I have a follow-on question though. Yeah. As a counterpoint to that, yeah. what's the most positive life experience you would likely have pursued that you haven't as a result of your faith? Well, I mean, being in the, mili- being being in the military army. would have been the something, army, yeah. and there is a lot of positives out of that. Um, uh, um, I, I would have probably pursued music more, maybe, as like a full-time career. Um, but, I, but I felt at a time when the stuff was going well in music stuff with me personally, that there was a bit of a crossroads that either I go and become a youth worker for a church um, or I continue with music. And that I could have done either, and I think both of them would have. Uh, and I, I obviously went and did youth work because I wanted to help out young people whose lives were on the, on the kind of edge. And so I could have done that. So How I, big a band do you reckon you would have been in? How What size? Um, I reckon put, eventually... Put a label to it. Oh. I reckon eventually it would have been like... I don't know, if you, if, you, <laughs> if you follow it to its, like, telos, to its end, it's a bit of Latin for you, yeah. I think we would have been, like, a mid-chart indie Have you heard of thing. the Kaiser Chiefs? <laughs> no, like, badly drawn boy, you know, writes right. great music, every, every once in a while an album comes up, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, do you remember the badly drawn boy, I really like them, this is the album, whose latest album actually is sick. They did, they did the soundtrack for... I don't know why Ballad Rumble came to mind, but it'll be that kind of like... They did the soundtrack for um, a Hugh Grant film. What's the film? Oh, no. That's a shame. I'm, I'm really bad. About a boy. Oh, yeah, they did the soundtrack yeah, 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 of that yeah. film. Um, <laughs> Do you reckon yeah. you would have done the soundtrack for a film? For a film, yes. It would be a Coen Brothers movie. Coen Brothers film. Yeah, 100%. Right. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a random thought so, exercise. Uh, a nice question. Um... I enjoyed that. I really like Bad Live John Boy. <laughs> I don't know why that was the example that came to mind. Yeah. Well, you know. But you know what I mean. That's in some... this alternative uh, dimension. You don't want to say where you didn't become a vicar. You, you don't want to say as huge as like Ed Sheeran or the Beatles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well avoided there. You yeah. would look to write for. I would have done. <laughs> but, I mean, I would be as big as Ed is, Sheeran because I'm about the same height. Thing is, so I've, I've seen you play and sing music. Oh dear. And you are very good. And I did a gig after you once where you'd played music and I was doing comedy. And the other comedian who was on next turned to me and went, I usually have a rule. I don't go on stage after people who are really talented. Aww. And he was like white as a sheet. Aww, <laughs> like, that's so and that's nice. like a, a little sort of... Wow, uh, I never knew that story. Yeah, a, a sort of 
key to being good at comedy is not following anyone who's actually genuinely like entertaining with music or something because oh, it will, by comparison, not be very good. That's really kind. Um, His words are not mine. I haven't so. invested in it as much as I would have done. Mm. Again, do you know what I mean? These days. Yeah. I just do it when, they, when people need a village idiot these days. <laughs> nice. Um, I think we've got time for a couple more questions. Yeah, go on. If you're still, still game. Uh, following this, this has been quite emotionally taxing for you, I'm sure, with the numbers and the, you know, what ifs. Um, but here's another what if. Okay. Yeah. If you were God, yeah. What would you have done differently? Just in general. Yeah. Um. If I was God, what would I have done differently? Um. I don't think I'm as loving as God is. So I probably wouldn't have given people total free will. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, um, you're saying you wouldn't be doing as good a job as God because you're not as loving. There's a sort of a, yeah, so I, a subsection I to this question, which thing. is none of this God's smarter than me. If I was that smart, I would have done the same thing. None of that. But you didn't go, oh, God's smarter than me. You went, God's more loving than me. Um, but what from your perspective they want to know looks like a divine screw up and how would you have done it better um, I don't know specifically what no, they mean I, I get it I get it but um, that's the question what looks like a divine screw up uh, wasps yeah I'm with you they clean up rubbish don't they no they don't they don't know anything Anything, also celery. So, yeah. Celery. Definitely a divine screw up. There are some big bloody Mary fans who are going, well, I disagree entirely. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. First you insult Hugh Grant and now there's. <laughs> yeah, and the cheeky girls. <laughs> the cheeky girls? <laughs> um, what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Someone's jealous of their musical career. <laughs> I am, really. I really am. Touch my bum, this is life. Yeah. The famous lyric from the Cheeky Girls, in case listeners don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a great, it's a good question. It's a good question that I need to ponder. What do I think is a divine screw up? Um, I mean, we all know that humans mess up all the time, mm. and so. But again, as we said in the last podcast, uh, the reason we create is not because because we whether well, the reason God creates isn't because of a lack. It's because of an overflow, and so He created us because He wanted to show. He wanted more people to show love to. And so, by nature, we we have to like, we we are screw ups that are in need of saving, and so humanity. It'd be much easier if you were God just to like, chill on your ones, wouldn't it? And take away some of people's free will. Well, yeah, and just mm. like stop atrocities, like because of people's free will. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There you go. But but then it wouldn't be loving. Wouldn't be loving. Mm. Isn't that nuts though to think? Yeah, it makes my little brain stressed. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure it does. A couple more questions about the Bible, as we're in uh, Bible Week. You go on. I suppose the theme has been largely yeah sort of Bible this week. Yeah, great. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Question: Did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> I love this question. There's a great book called "Did Adam Have a Belly Button," <laughs> which talks about a lot of these kind of things. Oh, you know this again, Genesis. 1 to 12, 
is written very differently from the rest of the book of Genesis, as we started. So um, Genesis was written, historically we kind of assume by Moses, um, who wasn't there at the beginning of all things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's kind of his way of articulating to a enslaved people, as Moses is the guy who um, helped the Israelites be set free from Egypt, and so now they're in the wilderness. And so he's trying to articulate to these people who have been born in slavery what kind of God we have. And so, it's, again, it's not necessarily, and this might cheese off some other Christians, but again, it wasn't written to be a scientific exploration of the first days in creation, but rather a retelling to a previously enslaved, now liberated people what kind of God our God is going to be. Um, and so did Adam ever read one? Who knows? Who knows? Um, Going back to picture books... Yeah, I think I recall the most recent picture book I've seen. The picture was, of Adam. Did he have a belly button? Yeah, he had a belly button. Yeah, cool. Um, so they interesting. Who knows whether my first children's Bible is accurate? Yeah, um, but but say? if he didn't, it would have been weird for his kids, though, wouldn't it? Be like, Dad, why why have I got a belly? Why don't you have? There's a, a comedian without a belly button. Um, Paul Carenza doesn't have a belly button. I'm sure there's a few um, people. Maybe other people. But it must have been. Yeah, they must have something, just like a, a scar. From where the umbilical cord was cut, right? Well, presumably the point being that Adam wasn't. Yeah, no, I get it. Ever in the womb? Yeah, sure. No, was... I'm saying about your mate Paul Carenza. He was right. in the womb at one point. I've never met him. Um, he must have been in the womb. Just... Like, yeah, I don't know how. It no, I'm saying he he pass. must have come out of a womb. Yeah. Unless he was. Maybe it was the way it was. Maybe you cut can cut an uh, umbilical cord so it doesn't leave a belly button somehow. Wow. Um, there we go. It's a very close <laughs> scissor <laughs> manoeuvre. Absolutely. Um, not my area of expertise, but hasn't stopped me doing a podcast on other things that are my area of expertise. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, final question today. Go on. If you had to have dinner with five Bible characters, oh, who, who would you pick? You can't pick Jesus or God. Great. Okay. If, if I was choosing this, I'd sneak... Holy Spirit in. <laughs> Holy Spirit's third, always there, bro. Like the third. Because um, then you're sort of getting the goods of... Holy Spirit's always there. Holy Spirit's always there. Yeah. What? Eating in his midst. Um, <laughs> whether you like it or not. You have right. KFC. For the purpose of this question, you can't have Holy Spirit just there. Okay. It, you'd have to have yeah, Holy fine, Spirit. Great. I'll, well. I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> so I'd have Simon Peter. So Simon, yeah. who then gets really in Peter halfway through his life. Yeah. Seems like he'd be a laugh. He messes up lots. Uh, but He um, seems like he'd be a laugh. I would, um, I would want Mephibosheth, who's that guy who I just explained with that in that story of David yes. um, in two thousand nine. Um, just because I like, I love being around people who have been through real transformation in their life. It gives me great joy. Um, I would have um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, I th- I think she's astounding, um, and it'd be amazing. There's a there's a really interesting New Testament character called Phoebe, who is an early church planter. Uh, and again, we have lots of views about, there's lots of like disagreements in the Christian world about women and leadership, and we could talk about that another day. But um, she was a, a person in the New Testament, in the early church, who planted churches, and I think she's nice. cool. Um, and then my fifth would be a young, like David as a teenager. As David gets older, he he does more. Yeah. He does quite depressing things, oh. but as as when he's younger, he's like really interesting, really fired up, 
So like a 20-year-old David. Presumably he can only stay till like 8pm or something. Like, no, 20-year-old David. he'll be past his bedtime. 20 oh, 20-year-old David. 20-year-old David. Yeah, 20-year-old David. Um, yeah, when he's at the, the height of his songwriting career. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Funny that. You know, I could have been as big as Badly Drawn Boy. <laughs> badly <laughs> Drawn Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Joseph, though. Mary, are you coming home anytime soon? <laughs> There we go. He's uh, used to that, though, isn't he? Having fun. Used to having, <laughs> having fun without you. Having suspicions about wow. others. Good choices. Um, thanks so much, Alex. No worries. Um, it's been emotional. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, and I hope you've learned lots today. We've certainly learned that we don't deal in percentages and that you should analyse poetry as a whole. <laughs> that the best Bible story is 2 Samuel 9. That's not, not what he said. It's not the best. It's one of my um, favourites. It's one of his favourites. And uh, if you're going to have dinner, always invite a, a Mephibosheth. Little pun there <laughs> to end on. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Conversations with a Vicar. If you've got any questions, email them to me. Um, bye. Bye. bye.